Today's fast forward guest is the incredible Dame Jane Ann Gadia, a career journey that has launched enlisted Virgin Money, Virgin Money Giving, and the Northern Rock Bank acquisition, has given her the expertise to launch her own startup, Snoop. Jane Ann joins me to reflect on her time with Rowan Gormley, with whom she launched Virgin Direct for Sir Richard Branson, and how this changed her views on life. She's moved from a focus of process and rules to a new exciting outlook where never taking no for an answer and having fun along the way has allowed her to achieve some amazing things. Jane Ann, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you very much, Trish. Great to be here. Um, the joy of, uh, of, I think, the pandemic is that we can we can reach further afield than Manchester to to speak to some incredible guests. And um, yeah. I'm so looking forward to this conversation today. Me too, although you've made me feel old already. 35 years, <laughs> surely not. <laughs> Don't, if I start getting back into my career, I'll realise that, uh, yeah, I've been around <laughs> a few quarters as well. But um, they all make us rounded as a person. Um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about you. We're in the middle of a pandemic and it has brought some exceptional personal and business challenges. We are all having to adapt dramatically, no, not least by this podcast being recorded from home. Um, yeah. And, you know, thousands of people are where you were a few years ago, out of a job. Um, and I'd love to know um, sort of what words of advice that you might have for them Um based on that that experience that you had yourself um, just a few short years ago? Oh, gosh. Well, I think um, I, in, in everything that I've done, I've learned by making mistakes, and I made enough mistakes uh, for a lifetime when I left Virgin Money and found myself unemployed, as you say. I had lots of advice from people who all said, don't rush into anything, take your time, enjoy some peace and quiet. Uh, and, of course, uh, that was so counter to what I wanted to do for all sorts of reasons. I thought I'd become irrelevant. Um, I thought that, you know, I needed to get back on the pitch. Um, and so I rushed into a whole variety of things. And, and that proved to be the wrong thing to do, to be honest. Uh, the right thing to do absolutely is, I think, for people to to just take that little bit of time and just think hard about, you know, what what is it that I really want to do? And I realised that the thing that I've always been good at, the thing that's always made a difference to me, and indeed, you know, the thing that I suppose has created growth everywhere over centuries is um, to set up my own business. And I do think that in the UK we're very good at that. I think that the environment's here mm. for lots of people to start their own businesses. I think we're in a world of innovation um, you know, you and I were talking earlier about all of the change that's happened over just a few weeks of lockdown that we were able mm. to do things now that we couldn't do previously. <laughs> and, and and I think that, um, you know, as I say, it took me a while to realise it, but setting up Snoop with a team of people that I really enjoy working with, um, using new technology and trying to do a bit of good in the world has just been fantastic. Uh, you know, I also do a little bit of not-for-profit work and keep my hand in with the banking sector. Um, but broadly, the thing that I'm loving getting out of bed for every morning is making this new business a success. Um, and that has been part of your career, I think. And we'll we'll go in, we'll dive into that in a little uh, second. But let's go back to the to the very beginning. You were the very first person in your family to to go to university, and I know how big of a thing that is being the same person that did that in mine. Um, and then yep. you went through to accountancy. Tell me about that time of your life, because you were really trailblazing in so many ways back then. Yeah, but it didn't feel like it, funnily enough. My daughter got her 
IB International Baccalaureate results yesterday and I was thinking only this morning back to when I was that age and getting my A-level results and planning on going to university and don't you think that we, you know, my advice to her really is do what feels right and do what you enjoy rather than what you think you need to do in order to build a career and mm-hmm. from my point of view, I'm, you know, you kindly say that it was trailblazing, it never has felt like that, it's just felt like doing what's the right next step with things that I, I've enjoyed. And really importantly for me, with people that I like and get on with, um, because we spend so much time at work, don't we? It's really important, I think, to like the people that you work with. So many people don't. Um, and, um, you know, what do they say? You can choose your family, but uh, you can't <laughs> choose your family, but you can choose your friends. You can sort of choose yeah. your work colleagues as well. And um, I, I think, you know, choose, choose a great place to work and then go out, have a bit of fun and make a bit of a difference. I, I've never, ever had a plan that's any grander than that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a great way to stand your to, to stand your life by. Um, now, you know, so accountancy doesn't sound terribly exciting, but um, a, t- mm-hmm. a chance meeting um, led to an introduction to a, a certain well-known entrepreneur, which does seem to have changed the course of an accountant's life um how did that all come about oh well um so you're right I I mean my life's been a a whole succession of accidents really or my career certainly and uh when I was at university I met uh my husband uh we've been married I can't believe it nearly 40 years he's Indian and uh you know at that time it was quite unusual really for uh mixed marriages to to thrive and um, as a result, uh, we both needed to get away from his home, actually, because he was expected to have an arranged marriage. So um ran away to my home um, and we both needed a job. And it would never have occurred to me to have become an accountant if I hadn't just decided I need a job or we need some money because, you know, we need to... Um, need to work out how the future is going to be and uh, mm. as a result you know we both ended up training as an accountant as accountants and that was a brilliant background for business as I say a complete accident it would never have occurred to me to do it but I would encourage lots of people that are interested in business if you don't know specifically what you want to do accountancy is a wonderful background um, and I moved from the profession where I was with what is now EY to what is now Aviva um, did some accountancy jobs but I did find it a bit slow there and my boss who was brilliant at the time encouraged me to go into the marketing team which was more sort of perhaps a bit more outgoing a bit more um you know in a funny sort of way a bit more exciting um and as a result of that excitement I got involved with all sorts of different things at um at that company and ended up um being asked to resolve a big problem for them and when I resolved that problem the boss at the time a CEO called Phil Scott said to me, well, I tell you what, you tell me, you decide what you want to do next and I'll see if I can make it happen for you. And it was just at that time that I got it. Well, I was working in Norwich because uh, um, Aviva then was Norwich Uni. Its head office was in Norwich. And uh, I jumped on the train down to London to go and meet a marketing friend of mine. And left on the train seat was a an edition of Hello Magazine, which had an art, a picture of Richard Branson on his island in Necker. Uh, mm-hmm. on the front and a nice article inside. And when I got down to see the friend, I said to him, oh, you know, Philip Scott has said to me, I can do whatever I want to do, but I've just read this article about Richard Branson. I want something more exciting than corporate life. Wouldn't it be brilliant to work for him? And this friend of mine, Alistair Gornall, said, how funny. 
my best friend's just gone to work for him. Why don't I introduce you? And as you say, luck um, plays a huge amount of, uh, doesn't it, have a huge amount of influence in our lives. And uh, mm. as a consequence, um, I met the friend, I met Richard Branson, and together we all set up what became Virgin Money. Right yeah. the way no. back in uh, 1994, that would have been, a lifetime ago. Yeah, the incredible journey that that has been um, as well. Um, you spent a lot of time uh, working and learning from um, Sir Richard. What were some of the key um, lessons that you've taken from that time with him? Oh, I mean, there, there are so many, really. And I think, um, I, to be honest, the, the really acute lessons that I learned came as much from the, my sort of immediate business partner, Rowan Gormley, who... He and I together set up Virgin Money, if you like, with Richard's um, founding support. But on a day-to-day basis, Rowan and I work together. And uh, Rowan, is, he has just stepped down, actually, as the CEO of uh, Majestic Wines. He set up Naked Wine, Virgin Wines and Naked Wines and bought Majestic. He's just stepped down. And it was Rowan, really, that changed the way in which I thought about my life, my business life, because... I'd always been terribly sort of um, conservative with a small C and followed the rules. And, uh, and broadly, Rowan and Richard, I think, made me realise that uh, you can challenge the rules, you can break the rules, you can think um, visionary and extreme thoughts, and you can make a difference. And I, I suppose the example that pops into my mind, and there were many of them, but the example that pops into my mind about that is that uh, I found myself with Rowan one day, literally banging on the door of the Treasury, HMT, in uh, Whitehall. Um, going to talk to them about um, how to make pensions available to everybody in the UK. And it never occurred to me that you could go and sort of lobby the government directly by banging on the door. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that 25 years ago, we did that. And, you know, even more astonishingly, I suppose, they listened. And uh, we developed um, what it was called cat marking of pensions at that time. And it was, you know, it was novel and uh, different and came from the right pace in terms of you know wanting to do the right thing for pension customers and I think what I really learned through working with Rowan who was brave courageous completely bonkers and in that sense and uh, you know brilliant and supported by Richard and the adventurous brand that he created I think I learned that actually um, there are at least two types of people in business one one type of person are the ones that you know properly follow due process and you know, execute on the business that's been built. And the other perhaps is people that want to change the status quo and build a different sort of business. And um, without exposure to Richard Branson and Rowan Gormley, I don't think I'd have realised that actually the thing I love is building the different type of business. And mm. I think it's something that everybody should really think about. You know, how, how do I just literally this morning done a little video for my old, old college, Royal Holloway at London University for their what will be, of course, a virtual graduation. And um, I said in, in my little video, you know, it's up to us to change the world. We either sit back and watch other people do it or do it ourselves. And I think the wonderful link with Virgin is that you realise that actually the world's only changed by people and why not us? Yeah. It came across um, that it was a place where, whilst you might have had to step out of your comfort zone, it gave you the freedom to flourish. At Virgin? Um, oh, yes. Um, yeah. uh, no, no comfort zone there. Definitely no (laughs) comfort zone. Yeah, but you were stretching yourself, and that's how we all grow. Um, Exactly. 
Now, the book, um, The Virgin Banker, it, you document many of the lessons that you learned um, over your prestigious career. But I noticed um, or I got a sense for, sort of midway through there was a, a nuance changed. You had stopped sharing lessons that you'd learned from others and it's it, it had morphed into your own advice. Um, I don't know whether um, you were that whether that was a conscious thing in the book or whether on reflection, do you think that there was a point where that changed in, in your career? I mean, no, it was certainly not conscious. And you're the first person that's raised it. And I found it, I found it a really interesting point. Um, I think what it might be is that um, as I got older and had, you know, enjoyed some adventures and experiences, a number of people said to me, you know, you're, you're starting to become an older state person now. Uh, and you should be <laughs> sharing that with others. And I've always, I always, well, first of all, I didn't want to feel that I was old enough to do that. It's the second time we mentioned age, but I'm not really obsessed about it. Um, but um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't really feel. Um, it felt a bit patronising. Do you know what I mean? Often, in particular, people would say to me, "You've become a very senior woman in this business world. You should really, um, you know, help other women to flourish." And whilst I wanted to do that, I didn't really know how to do that without being patronising. And I mm. didn't want to be patronised myself, if you know what I mean. And, and, and so there wasn't really a, a way in which I could, I felt that I could be myself and influence in the way that people were encouraging me to do. Um, and then it was 2015, and I wonder when, whether in the book this is where you start to notice this difference, that George Osborne actually asked me to do a piece of work into why women were not progressing in the same way as men in financial services. You know, far fewer women mm. in senior roles in financial services um, that, than you'd expect. And um, the thing that shocked me when he asked me to do this was that because I'd been sort of slightly lazy about um, working out why this was the case, that there weren't that many women around board tables, what, what I hadn't realised was how much worse that is in financial services than in many other sectors. And I, I wanted to understand why that was the case in my sector. Um, and then, of course, the real astonishment for me was that it was nothing to do with women being mothers, because, of course, women are mothers in all sectors. <laughs> why would it be mm. worse in financial services? It was all to do with the culture of financial services. And women were saying, you know, we don't want to be treated like this. We don't want to be undervalued, literally, because men get paid higher bonuses than women do broadly and, you know, the gender pay gap, et cetera. And I think that it was at that point that I realised that I and others that have, you know, got more years behind us can have a role in thinking about how do you change business culture and, you know, how can women achieve leadership roles and um, how can gender and diversity matter in a work environment. Um, and I think that must have been the point in myself that would have been the point when I did that piece of work for George Osborne that I felt that I was able to move with some, you know, conscious positivity, if you like, from taking advice from others, which I hope I still do and I still need to do for sure, to being able to share some of that to, I hope, help other people to um, overcome some of the obstacles that we all face. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, from what I read and from what I read of the report is that I think it's stepping away from that perception of how do we fix this woman's problem? These, you know, the problem is women. The women, the problem isn't women. The problem is culture and, you know, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Those have to change and adapt because we can't change, but they can. Um, So, yeah, then I came across um, 
um, certainly too. And I think that's and that's absolutely, in my view, at the heart of all of the challenges that we're experiencing at the moment. Not just with gender diversity, mm. but also with Black Lives Matter. Oh. That I think that I think that there's such a um, problem in work life and in society where there seems to be a sort of expectation that is, you know, we're not racist, we're not sexist, but if, if people just fit in with us, of course we'd love to have them here. <laughs> and and I think that's right. You know, I, I don't think there are bad people. I don't think everybody's yeah, it's bad. Benign. I just think it's benign. There's, there's, it's just an expectation that, you know, we, we, we welcome you and come and behave like us. And, of course, that's not what we all want. We all no. want to be able to behave like ourselves in our world and in our work. Um, and that to be okay and I think that there's still a long way to go to make it okay for everyone if you're enjoying the podcast simply hit the like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform if you have the time leave us a review you can do that really easily by going to ratemypodcast.com forward slash fast forward and you touched upon something at the beginning of the podcast, you know, and about you talking about innovation, this world of innovation that we live in. Innovation thrives when there's lots of different ideas and perspectives that come mm. together. Um, it's when we fall foul of groupthink, which is, you know, hiring people in our own image, with subconsciously or consciously that we do it. Um, you know, so we want to to see those people from lots of different walks of life, different socioeconomic backgrounds. I mean, you've had... I imagine too, like anybody at your intersectional or in a mixed marriage, you will have had in during a period of time where it was perhaps not as accepted as it is now. Um, you're a woman that has thrived in, in financial services. It certainly never came across to me from what I read that you had ever seen it as a, a, a problem for you that you had people always ask me about what obstacles have I faced in trying to get where I am in my career. And I'm like, well, I haven't really had any. I'd not seen them, but I can see them for other people. Um, you know, and that I think it's all of those different viewpoints and experiences that we need to be bringing to the table to try and move this on. Um, have you seen, I mean, COVID has had a negative impact on women who are mothers because of the caring responsibilities. And there's lots of evidence to show that sort of negative impact on career. But do you think now we're coming out the other side, it will help because of the acceleration of digital tra transformation that we'll sort of see that transformation in diversity that we're hoping to see because of how the workplace will now be enabled and do you see it in financial well, I mean, services? Well I, I think that practically the answer ought to be yes so when we did the piece of work around um, women in finance uh, back in 2015-16 women were saying you know she'll not work from home more because we've got the technology to do it but it didn't happen of course we now know no. of course that it's happened happened quickly and that that can be very helpful in making life more flexible it's worked for me in that sense um but uh, and so i think we can sort of tick that box of practicality as it were but but this goes much deeper i think than than the practical issues it definitely mm. is around particular biases and and the establishment if you like so you know, as you were just talking about, um, you know, what obstacles do we all face? This, and I reflected on this dur during lockdown. I thought about Theresa May, actually, um, because she was the one that said it. I think that you know, people have definitely over the years seen me as a bloody difficult woman. And when Theresa May said that, you know, do you remember she said something about mm -hmm. her, she did. She, her, her having that? Like this. Yeah, back to her, go on. Like, <laughs> 
And um, and I think that, that, that what that, again, really means is we don't like you coming in and trying to change things. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that we have to find a way of understanding that sometimes the challenge that comes from people that aren't... I think, you know, if people say this is a difficult woman or a difficult person or, you know, a difficult thing to um, address, that's probably the very thing that's going to create a change in mindset that makes a real difference in terms of innovation. It's the people that, you know, as you said earlier, if you're in your comfort zone and you don't get challenged, the establishment might be maintained and retained, but then how do we make progress? And so my hope in COVID is that we don't end up in a place where you know, we sort of resort or revert to old-fashioned ways of doing things, whatever that means, you know, with, you know, in some cases, mum at home, because that's the way in which, um, you know, the new COVID work life happens with more mm-hmm. unemployment around. You know, let's make sure that we appreciate the challenges that we each bring to one another and to our organisations and move forward from them. Um, yeah. Because it's the, state, it's the state, we can't afford to have the status quo. Um, and it's the, the people that make others a little bit uncomfortable, I think, that are going to make a, a difference. Yeah. Um, I was t- chatting to somebody the other day and I was like, you know, we just need to get all mums coding because that will sort everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, all, all the young <laughs> yeah. children and daughters, you know, will have role models at home. Um, so if we can get some funding from the government to get mums uh, in coding, that would be a great solution. Um, well, and no. not just coding, but... Uh, as I say, setting up businesses too. I mean, I'm really mm-hmm. disappointed. I can't remember who I was talking to about this recently. Um, that there are so fewer, many, much fewer women than men that set up their own businesses. And of course, the reason for that is that, that it, apparently, and Alison Rose did a brilliant piece of work on this. Alison Rose is the she CEO is, of yeah. RBA. Mm-hmm. And um, but basically, I think what happens is that most the funding that goes into new businesses comes from men and mostly mm-hmm. they were feel comfortable investing it in people that have got similar backgrounds or you know do similar things to them and of course that tends not to be women so women get far less um investment through funders in their new businesses than men do and again i think it's really important that as far as possible the government tries to help to level that out yeah. Oh, I think we, you and I could talk all day because I'm about to mm-hmm. uh, launch into invisible women and how 50% of the population are seen as niche, which is women because of the investment community yeah. being all men. But I'm not. <laughs> we could be here all day. <laughs> we could be here all day. Um, so let's let's move on to where you are now. Um, I'm very excited to talk about your new business, Snoop. Um, you launched it in April. Um, and though it's your first kind of step out to being an out and out entrepreneur, I think your career is very much a testament for you being an entrepreneur. Um, so tell it, tell us more about Snip. What's it all about? Um, so, I mean, it's interesting. I'll go back to Virgin Money if I can to start with. So yes. it, it, in a sense, of course, um, although it's called Virgin Money and although, of course, Richard Branson is the founder, um, Rowan and I and others set up Virgin as an entrepreneurial business. So, um, you know, this wasn't a business that existed before us. It was a pure new business mm-hmm. that we built together. So so I think more, perhaps it's less of a change or less of a sort of striking out into something different than perhaps you imply. Although once we'd set up Virgin uh, 25 years ago, of course, then we did need to continue to develop new businesses and uh, within the, the Virgin that we'd set up and um, 
Uh, and so we've had some very good experiences along the way. And, and I think it's those experiences, particularly when you're trying to create something that's innovative and new, that forge strong relationships with the people that you work with. And so when the Clydesdale bought Virgin Money back in 2018, one, one of the things that was happening at that point was that we were trying to create a new digital bank from within Virgin Money. Um, you, know, you know, most people have heard of Monzo and Revolution Starling, which mm-hmm. are the sort of new technology digital banks that are doing very well, and we admired them. Uh, and at Virgin Money, we had a much more traditional bank built on older systems. And so strategically, the idea there was to keep the older bank going because we had millions of customers on it all being looked after very well, but at the same time and in parallel to develop this new type of digital bank so that we could sort of see how the two fitted together. Now, when the Clydesdale bought Virgin Money, uh, they had their own digital capability, and so they decided that they didn't want to continue with this build of the new-fashioned, as it were, digital bank. Um, And so many of my Virgin Money digital team were made redundant, and they came to see me one day and said, well, why don't we do it ourselves? You know, we've got all this experience, and um, why don't we just set up a new bank ourselves? And Hmm. Yeah, one of my colleagues that I've worked with for 25 years or something said, oh, I don't want to set up another bank. Why don't we use our experience to set something up that builds on our banking experience, our banking skills, but doesn't have all of the regulatory and capital complexities that banking has? Um, and so we had, if you like, a ready-made team. We'd worked together, as I say, for many, many years in total. And we were able to see that actually um, – a new regulation that had come into force not very long before called open banking meant that uh, customers could give organizations like Snoop access to their banking data across all banks. And we decided that we could analyze that banking data because we know it so well to enable people to save money, to help people to see where they could spend better and save more. And um, we do that digitally, we do that on a phone and make it really, really easy for people to see, as I say, um, you know, what, what monthly direct debits are they spending that they don't want anymore? What electricity bill are they paying that they could pay cheaper? Where has Sky Television put up their fees without telling them because they've forgotten that they signed up 12 months earlier? Um, and things like that. And, um, you know, we've been able to build that. It took us 12 months to build it. We put it into beta in January this year. And much to my surprise, because I'd never launched a business like that before, we signed up 5,000 customers during the beta. And many customers actually physically before COVID came in to see us in our little offices in Waterloo to help us to build something that would be great. And it was working very well. And we were intending to go live at the end of May. Um, but in the middle, just the, in the middle of the lockdown, early April, lots of these beta customers came or sent us emails basically and said, "Look, you're going to launch this thing. It's brilliant. We love it. Now's the time to launch it because uh, you're going to be able to help people save money during this difficult time, and you're also going to be able to tell people where they can spend money successfully during this difficult time." Um, we were all obviously working from home at that point in time, but what we really did was to progress the code from beta phase into the app store and into Google Play uh, mm-hmm. and go live. We went went live with the code that the beta testers had tested and given us feedback on. So the real snoop went live on the 17th of April and we're putting on about a thousand customers a day. Um, we're saving on average people about £1,500 a year, um, saving them money across their own 
personal um, lifestyle and personal spending patterns. And, you know, the feedback that we're getting is excellent. So we're growing very strongly and, um, and it's very exciting because, of course, at the moment, it's really about the UK consumer and how can we save them money. But mm-hmm. we aim to extend that to small businesses and hopefully we can extend uh, to different countries as well. So I think it's, uh, it's uh, an idea of its time. Yeah, I've actually downloaded the app and I love it. I've already shared some of the snips, my friends. Um, I'm switching from a lesser known Irish bank to Starling so I can make full use of it. Although I did also fill in your survey to say get XYZ Irish Bank, which I won't say the name off on. (laughs) But um, uh, I'm not sure if there'll be enough customers in England (laughs) in the same bank as me. But uh, I'd always wanted to switch to Starling because um, the CEO is a woman and I'd already... Uh, yep. ordered the bank account so it was just the final push over the edge um, well, but clearly... and clearly go ahead it, the, the, starting, the starting thing is really interesting because uh, we're now linked to over 30 banks in the UK and we put Starling on as you'll therefore know in the last couple of weeks and they made a really big song and dance about how pleased they are to be joined to Snoop and I just thought you see for me that's what um, new businesses in the future should be doing, you know, mm-hmm. celebrating partnering together rather than always yeah. trying to stick it to each Compete. other. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. So I was, I was very, very pleased to see that. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's really good. I mean, they've a new customer because of Snoop. Um, but I mean, I think Snoop, the partnerships, the way that you talk about it, um, the the way that you can suggest Snoops to you, I can send you some of the things that I've I've found. Um, you know, it, it just carries on your ethos of everyone better off, which you had started a Virgin. Yeah. And it comes Absolutely. through in, in bucket loads. So it's really nice. Now, um, Good. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, obviously launching Snip, you've done it in the middle of the pandemic, but you also closed um, a £3.2 million pound funding um, deal. Um, I can't imagine that it just happened overnight. Um, so can you talk us through how you how you did that? Um, well, I think it's um, the thing that I found most challenging about building a business that's completely brand new and doesn't have Virgin or Richard Branson behind it, or you know, doesn't have somebody that's already established behind it, other than me and my team, if you like, is that uh, it is quite tough to raise the money that you need to to do something significant. Uh, and the real significance, of course, for us is that. As I say, we're putting a thousand customers on a day. You need quite, you need some mm-hmm. marketing money behind that. We're we're actually acquiring people, acquiring new customers very efficiently, but but nevertheless, the scale of it means that we need the money to to keep going, as it were, from a marketing point of view. Um, and so it's a bit of a thankfully a, a virtuous circle, really, which is that um, you know the more success that you have in marketing, the more customers that you bring on, the more interested people are in funding the business because they can see that this is going to be a um, you know, we, we like to think of it as the, the new generation, really, of uh, comparison websites. And, um, you know, a number of investors want to be at the fore of that. So um, we, I suppose uh, the best way of thinking about it is that having raised that funding round that you describe, we now have sort of four groups of uh, investors. Uh, myself and the founding team um, own about a quarter of the business, um, Salesforce Ventures, brilliant partner to have landed in a you know in this world of tech development that same um Habersham Investments which is um owned by Lord Brownlow someone who works um very very successfully in financial services in a business called Huntswood where they're trying to 
or very successfully helping banks to um, manage customer complaints very successfully. Uh, and to Lloyd Dorfman, who launched TravelX and um, and sold TravelX a number of years ago. So we've got people that are, it, we, all of the founders have, to use the expression, got skip, significant skin in the game. Uh, we've yeah. got people that know fan, financial services. We've got entrepreneurs. We've got tech businesses. And we've got big American um, uh, investors already in Snoop. And that feels like a really solid base to, to build from. And, and it's um, I, and it's it's hard, you know. It's it's hard to yeah. create that, and we're delighted with uh, where we've got to so far. Um, but it can't have been easy. And I know we've spoken recently to Jenny Tooth, who's the CEO of the UK Business Angels, about finding investment during the crisis. Um, what would be your advice to other entrepreneurs who would be trying to raise at this time, whether it's millions that you're talking about or earlier stage? What would be your sort of pieces of advice for them? I think. Um, Gosh, I, I think that you have to kiss a, kiss a lot of frogs. <laughs> it's probably the best way of putting it. You know what I mean? There's, there's yeah. an, you have to do a lot of um, meetings and, you know, Zoom, actually at the moment, Zoom is very helpful with that. You have to explain mm. your vision. You have to be able to show quantifiably um, why you think this is going to work. Really interestingly, I think, um, I was talking to another potential investor a couple of weeks ago, he's actually Canadian, and uh, um, I said to him, oh, well, you know, one of the things that we've been really surprised about is that we don't think we could have done this if we'd have been a few youngsters in a garage, you know, building a new fintech business. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, when you see us all on Zoom, you'll, you'll realize that we're all pretty long in the tooth and we've got literally hundreds of years of banking experience behind us. And he said, that's really interesting because most of the successful new startups in fintech have got that. You know, I think it's really important that you can demonstrate that you've got both fin and tech, not just, you know, tech innovation that tends to come from um, newer thinking. And so I think being able to demonstrate experience as well as creativity is, is really important. Um, but the, the, the key really is to talk to lots and lots and lots of people, have your story very clear um, and understand, of course, investors want to know what you're going to spend the money on and what they're likely to get back for it. And you got quite a bit of that experience when you were um, originally floating Virgin Money, didn't you? Um, when you were about to go to the mar- stock market. Yeah, back, back in, in 2014. Days, yeah. So you'd, you'd yeah, I mean, had experience of it? Yes, it's different. I mean, I remember this is well before the <laughs> the flotation, as it were, but I remember realizing when I was somewhat wet behind the ears in the world of business and banking that um, not all money is made equal. I remember it being a real surprise to me, although bankers, of course, will think I'm a bit daft for saying that. But, you know, you, you realize that, of course, that certain um, people and firms um, have different investment uh, philosophies. And some are very um, interested in going into businesses very early on because if they're successful, they'll, you know, make a lot of money that way. And others are much keener to wait to see how successful the business has been before they make a commitment. Yeah. And, you know, and, and also, the, you know, people fit all the way along that spectrum. And I think identifying uh, as you talk to people where they are in that spectrum, if you're at the very early stages of raising money, then you're probably raise smaller amounts from people who are prepared to take a bigger risk. And, you know, when we were listing Virgin Money, we raised bigger amounts from people that could see that it wasn't really too risky because they got all of the data and experience behind them. And so Hmm. being able to tailor the right people for the right stage of investment, I think, is, is very important.
Yeah. Um, it just sounds like you're on. Uh, you continue to be on an incredible journey. Um, so let's look to the future then. Um, the vision for for Snoop. Um, you mentioned open banking there. That's obviously evolving. Um, how do you yeah. see Snoop, Snoop capitalising on those opportunities? Um, so the way in which I think about Snoop at the moment is, um, you know, on the one hand people are enjoying it because it enables them to think about their banking differently. And as you'll know, as you've downloaded it, you know, you, you can uh, link all your bank accounts if you've got more than one and your, let's say your credit card. Uh, and you can see all of those transactions in one place. And it's really interesting. We uh, linked to Amex about six weeks ago. And some of the feedback that we've got from customers is that our customers like seeing their Amex transactions better through Snoop than through Amex because we're able to give them more history and able to show them their Amex, Amex transactions in the context of their other banking arrangements, right? Which is, I think, very help. I hope very helpful. So, you know, it's one of we're not the only uh, organisation that does this, but it's one of the only organisations that means that customers can be completely sure that this is not a bank, their bank being um, controlling their data. It is us showing customers all of their banking data in one place so that they can see their entire financial life. And although that might sound a bit dull, I can promise you that our customers are saying that this is a real breakthrough for them because it's presented in a simple, clear, transparent way uh, and really helps people to understand what they have and haven't got. So in, in, in some ways, we think that Snoop can be that window on the banking world that people have rarely had before. Uh, which is very powerful. But, of course, the real essence of Snoop is then being able to use all of that transactional data, as I said earlier, to make sure that people can spend their money most efficiently and save money over and above where they are now. Um, and then I think, well, we sh we probably compare ourselves with the price comparison websites like Go Compare or Money Supermarket, et cetera. And, of course, the difference between Snoop and the price comparison sites, all of which we've got huge respect for, is that, because they've been around for a while, broadly what the price comparison sites do is they are very clear on what the best deals are in the market at the moment, and they'll tell you what a broad uh, market position is for those best deals, and they'll also tell you how to switch. But what we do is we can identify through seeing your banking data what deals are relevant specifically to you, and we can make the switch for you. So you know, I had somebody drop me an email uh, only last week um, saying, I've just been on Snoop. Um, you've saved me £565, I think it was, or 567 or something, on my energy bill, and it only took me five minutes to switch. And I think, you know, it's, it's the ability to be personal and tailored and make the switch for people that in the end will make it make a very big difference and make this a very big business. So the reason we called it Snoop, and as you'd imagine, I, I get quite a lot of people saying, well, that's quite an unusual name. What do you call it Snoop for? Uh, and, the, and there's two reasons, really. One is that, um, you know, we knew through Cambridge Analytica, et cetera, that the big businesses snoop on us, the consumer, and we wanted to put the boot on the other foot. Snoop's on your side. We snoopers are snooping on the banks and on the big businesses with our power of our data to make sure that we, the customer, are getting the best deal. And that's really turning the tables on, if you like, the sort of power equation that big businesses have had over us all for so many years. And, and that's really important. Um, and the other reason for calling it Snoop, to be honest, is that um, 
know, it, it is a bit of a catching name, you know, a bit slightly risky name. And I think when Richard Branson launched Virgin as a name, that was also very risky and it got noticed. And, mm-hmm. and we want to make sure, because, you know, as you set off a, a new business, that it is a name that gets noticed. And the thing that is really fascinating to me and the reason that I thought we must use the word snoop, to be honest, was that um, as we, as I was thinking about this and talking to people about it, when I saw the same person, I don't know, a few weeks later, they wouldn't say to me, how's your new business going? They'd say, how's snoop? And it was just one of those moments that you think, that's a memorable uh, brand name, so let, let's build on that. So, yeah, so I hope that snoop will be big and memorable and save the UK consumer literally billions of pounds, as I say, £1,500 uh, per household a year, we reckon we can save people. Then move into uh, helping small business owners, and then hopefully we'll be able to extend beyond the shores of the UK. Um, so it's the first time I've run a business where um, my management challenge is being able to take the next positive step because there's so many options in front of us. Whereas in banking, you're trying to sort of squeeze out the next opportunity. Here, there's a long way to go before the opportunities have run out. They feel pretty limitless at the moment. Yeah. Which is very exciting. Yes, it does. And as I was speaking to you, I just linked my credit card because I didn't know you also did credit cards. So that is now done in the space of the podcast. There we go. Well, that is good. Well, like, well, good. I hope you'll be able to see all of those transactions and save yourself or wouldn't save you a bit more. Oh, money. dear Lord. I hope not. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it'll be stop spending on Amazon. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. Well, it's interesting that you say that because um, I asked Paul, who's our marketing director, only last week, what's our favourite snoop at the moment? And he said it's Amazon. It's people working out because we're able to help people to understand how to, you know, spend on Amazon better. And funnily enough, um, some people very rightly are saying, I'm not so worried about saving money, but help me to spend greener or better, you know, in a more um, socially acceptable way. And there's a way you can spend on Amazon where some of your spend goes to charity. And so many many people have have, didn't know that that and have used it, yeah. And have you snoop in order to do it and, and love it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I was really pleased to say that was one of the first snips that came up. And then the other one was taking me down uh, another route of uh, price watching on Amazon and all that kind of stuff. So there's yep. so much great advice on there, which is great. Uh, one of the other one one of the other great ones was uh, particularly when the pandemic started. Uh, Morrison's were giving special discounts to NHS workers, and we were able to see which of our Snoop customers work for the NHS and tell them about the Morrison deal. And they, they didn't have time to know otherwise, so they were thrilled. Yeah. You know? So it's those sort of things that are very helpful, yeah. I, think, I hope. The nudge, the nudge technology in there yeah. that you can use for good. I love it. Yeah. Um, now, just as we talk about the NHS and we've been talking about the pandemic sort of weaved right throughout this podcast, um, it has had an impact on many people's um personal uh, mental health Um, and you've always been very candid about your own mental health struggles and I wondered just you know how um, how those experiences have changed how you then manage your business and look after your teams um, and what your views are and advice are to employers who need to better understand and look after the well-being of their staff. I I know it's a big question to wrap a podcast with. It's uh, definitely a big question. And I think, you know, I'm learning more and more about it. 
um, all the time. And I've learned mm. a huge amount about it during lockdown, actually. So, you know, I found myself, as we were talking about before we started, you know, I've been for a run every morning. Yeah. And during my run, I've been wrestling my demons and, you know, going through, you know, all of those things that bother you and you think, oh, I'm going to have to try mm-hmm. and sort that out in my mind at some point. Well, I I think I've been able to wrestle most of them to the ground. And I said to my my daughter the other day, because she's, she's quite wise for given her age, I think, or at least she's a, she's a good foil for me. And I said to her, well, I think I've wrestled all my demons to the ground. So how do I fill the empty space in my head now? <laughs> do you know what I mean? All those, now your all demon those is not having you, demons. <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, you, all those, I don't know if this sounds completely daft, but, you know, I think so much has been going around in my head around the things that I've worried about or whatever. But um, now that I feel I'm through quite a lot of that, I'm trying to replace it with <laughs> positive stuff. Like, And I've enjoyed that as well. Uh, through lockdown and I feel that there's a lesson in there somewhere that in work if we can change our mindset from all of the things we have to worry about to all of the things that we can be positive about I just Mm. think what a difference that would make I I did read only in the last couple of days somebody saying train your mind to see the positive side of everything and I thought gosh yes this is the thing I've learned in lockdown and, and to be honest, that's one of the things that we've been trying to do through Snoop, which is, you know, when you're running a bank and you're going through all sorts of crises, one, one of the things that much as I've missed Virgin Money and, you know, for me, uh, moving on from Virgin Money was a massive, massive thing and in, mm. in a sense, a, a, you know, a personal bereavement. Um, but when I, when I look back at it now, I'm delighted that I'm not running a bank through these difficult times because there's just so much stuff to cope with. And one of the beautiful things about Snoop really is we can think about how do we help people? How can we make this positive? And if you like, that gives, I think, a much stronger foundation for the people that operate in it. I, I worry most for the people in Snoop at the moment that because we've got so much opportunity ahead of us and we can see all these things that we need to do, that everybody's just working too hard. And, you know, although we talk about work-life balance because we can all work from home, actually, it's harder to break away from the screen yeah. and break away from the phone. So I think yeah, trying to we're living at work, not working is, from home. <laughs> yes, I think that, that's a good way of putting it. So I think that managing, um, we're not very good at that at Snoop, um, although, of course, we keep reminding each other of it. None of us particularly do it. But I do think we've been very good at focusing on the positive and how we can help and how we can build a, a kinder business. Um, and I do think that filling that space, if you like, of getting rid of the worry and creating positive time for all staff in all businesses is super important. Yeah. Um, it sounds very much like the saying I have in my bathroom, which is uh, always believe that something magical is about to happen. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely right. <laughs> um, now, I, I could, I honestly could talk to you all day, Gina, about all sorts of topics, I think. Um, but we do have to wrap up the podcast and we always like to give our listeners some takeaway um, advice um, that they can go and implement in their their business or personal lives um, following listening to this. Um, so I'm reflecting on all the cacophony of advice and things that you've learned over your uh, career and all the different things that you've done. Um, what would be some of the most valuable advice that you learned or even perhaps wish you'd known you'd known sooner? Mm. Um I'd say two things come to mind as you ask that question. The one thing that I say to everyone is always take your opportunities. 
Um, you know, all those years ago, we started talking about me working at Aviva, and um, I, I, I was um, uh, I took a job in the marketing team, as I say, that had been turned down by a friend of mine. And uh, I'm still in touch with her. And to this day, she says, that was made the difference between us. <laughs> she was an actuary and she didn't think an actuary should go into marketing. I was an accountant and wasn't sure whether I should go into marketing or not, but I decided to give it a go. And as I say, it's really interesting that that's over 30 years ago, probably, and she still remembers it. Um, and so I, I would say always take your opportunities because you never know where they might lead you. Um, but the thing that I wish I'd done, I think, over the years, I, I never have done. I, I mentioned this um, to a bunch of, I was asked to speak to, a, funny enough, a group of women um, just before Christmas, and they asked a similar question. And it definitely resonated with them. So I'll say it again now. I wish I'd been kinder to myself. Um, and I think that um, sometimes, you know, we, particularly as women in many ways, or, you know, from diverse groups all over the place, I'm sure, I think you feel you have to constantly perform and constantly drive forward and constantly yeah. be on show. And, and sometimes I think you just all of us need to be a bit kinder to ourselves and to each other. I think that's wonderful advice to, to end on. Um, I um, have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and um, I, I know you mentioned off her that there possibly might be another book and I look forward to uh, reading that. Uh, with Verver. Um, for the listeners who are on that um, startup journey, um, we hope that Gian's advice and insights will give you a better night's sleep. Thank you. Thank you, Drew. Fast Forward is a weekly interview podcast brought to you by Tech Manchester, an incubator for digital. For digital. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. The podcast is produced by Sarah Bellier. Audio editing by Jamie Gowenlock and music by Parma Violets. If you've any questions, feel free to drop us a line at info at techmanchester.co.uk or follow us on any of our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn, all under Tech Manchester. <laughs>